Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. So many of you know uh, in the audience that I am a parent and I struggle sometimes in my interviews. Am I wearing the parent hat or am I wearing the guy that has worked in education uh, as a sector for many years hat? Uh, Today, I think I'm going to wear both. And I think it's important as we're getting, everybody's sort of getting back into school, depending upon where you are in the country, you've either been in school or you're getting ready to uh, send the kids off to school. And and I want to talk about obviously something that is incredibly important um, to everybody, um, whether you're a parent or whether you're a teacher or an administrator or just a community member. And that is understanding uh, sort of healthy practices in a, in a, post, I say that cautiously, uh, COVID world, at least what we were in in, in 2020. Uh, and with that said, I want to welcome in uh, Joe Mann. He is a global medical liaison for BD um, and a family nurse practitioner. And and Joe, I appreciate your time today because I think that there are, there are lots of questions out there and there's a populace that I think at this point is a little bit reticent to ask the questions because we don't want to almost put it into the ether, <laughs> right? Sort of how do we, how do we practice, um, you know, sort of healthy habits? How do we understand, you know, the activities that we should be doing to ensure uh, continuity, right? Within the schools in that manner. So sort of give me a level set where we are uh, in our understanding, our level of comfort as an industry in providing support in the needs that we now have, have a better, I think, context for based on schools and families. Sure thing, Rod. So, you know, I think it's certainly been encouraging. The CDC feels comfortable enough to l- relax some of their recent COVID-19 guidance. There's been no signs, though, or indications that COVID-19 is going anywhere. I just checked this morning and we're still averaging close to 100,000 cases per day here in the U.S. alone. And for that reason, I believe schools will be in a precarious situation for viral transmission uh, from COVID, flu, and other viruses uh, this upcoming school year. And I think this will become increasingly true as we progress further into the cooler winter months where teachers and students are likely to spend more time indoors in these uh, congregated classrooms with limited ventilation and social distancing. And it's been well established and studied that these types of settings present viruses like COVID-19 with a better opportunity to spread from one host to another. So when you combine these settings along with relaxed guidance from the CDC, that kind of puts us in a tough position. And I mean, all that being said, I'm not going to pretend to be an educator or someone that understands how critical in-person learning is to school districts and student success. From my limited understanding, it is pretty critical. Uh, So I'm strictly speaking to this very complicated issue from a public health and COVID-19 mitigation standpoint. Uh, But I'd like to end on a more encouraging note. While I believe, you know, this upcoming school year will present some challenges, there are numerous strategies that teachers, students, and parents alike can sort of implement and to significantly lower their risk of becoming infected. And I think the main takeaway here is that the responsibility is on each of us now that the CDC has sort of stepped back and relaxed their guidance. So we all need to do our part this upcoming school year to keep our students and teachers safe. Let, let's talk practicality of what we think um, or what or what the, um, the guidance suggests when it comes to what schools uh, can be doing to ensure optimum safety. Because I think we had so many knee-jerk reactions, understandably so. And I think, and this is where I kind of want to lean into your background in the in the nursing industry, which is 
sometimes we'll have, we know what maybe the best approach is, but part of that is in the conversation, the relatability between those in science and those that are sort of receiving the, the advice, right? It, that it's that conversation, it's that bedside manner. So help me understand not just what can we do to optimize, right? Sort of healthy environments, but talk a little bit about that conversation so that we make sure that people are, are willing recipients of the information we're trying to, to, to give them. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is not what you say, it's how you say it. Right. So that's a, that's a <laughs> yeah. great point. Yeah. Uh, number one, you know, uh, is providing education, right. And, and encouraging vaccination for sure. Prior to the start of the school year, vaccination remains our number one defense against COVID-19 that hasn't changed. And the more students and faculty that were able to get vaccinated and get boosted prior to the start of the school year, the less able these viruses like the flu and COVID will be able to spread within our schools. So my recommendation would be that parents follow the most current CDC guidelines and guidance on, um, on vaccination. Number two is that schools could consider implementing and encouraging mitigation measures that limit opportunity for these viruses to spread. And these include things like mask wearing, routine cleanings of desks, uh, doorknobs, and other commonly touched surfaces within the school, maximizing social distancing whenever possible. And in this respect, schools can consider reevaluating class and lunch schedules to allow for less foot traffic in hallways and cafeterias, separating the desks and classrooms as much as possible, and opening windows and allowing, you know, ventilation from the outside if that's possible, weather permitting. And what would be the differences with regards to parents? Because it, I mean, if, I mean, look, the old adage, it takes a village, right? Uh, to raise a kid. I mean, it does, I think it's, it's aptly uh, applied in this scenario or this environment that we now live in. So how, how can parents support what you're talking about at the school level and where are their differences to, because I think that's, it's a challenge for schools. They're bearing such a weight to have this safe environment where there can be continuity of learning and experience in person but parents and care caretakers play a role in that as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And parents should play a role in, in uh, controlling this very difficult situation. And uh, I think I, I wanna emphasize also that every parent can independently also assess their own risk and potential consequences of their child coming home with COVID. For example, if there's you know elderly or other higher risk individuals living in the at-home setting, uh, then parents may wanna be more cautious and strongly enforce some of these recommendations I'm about to provide. So with that said, you know, to reiterate vaccination uh, will be important for parents to get their kids vaccinated as well as themselves um, so that the child and, and parents are less likely to bring the uh, infection to the school. Uh, parents can also advise their children to avoid, avoid large crowds uh, congregated settings at the school. And building off this, parents could also advocate uh, that school officials and students participate in outdoor activities and outdoor socials rather than indoor spaces. Uh, and um, we've all heard, probably heard by now, wearing a mask, especially when indoors, is highly effective. Uh, and sitting on the outside or peripheral aspects of the classroom and cafeteria, you know, encouraging kids to do that when they're in, in school and routinely encouraging their kids to wash their hands throughout the day are all good things that parents can encourage their kids to do to do their part of keeping kids safe at school. And finally, I think most importantly, actually, uh, I would encourage all patients to, or patients, I'm sorry, all parents <laughs> to, uh, to keep um, a few at-home COVID-19 tests in their medicine cabinet in case their children or other members of their household develop symptoms. 
This way, and you know, if someone in the at-home setting becomes infected, or they uh, they can be tested immediately and isolated from the rest of the family and from school if they come back positive. Uh, for additional peace of mind, parents can opt to can you know consider testing their children routinely, even if they don't have symptoms. With these I was going to ask you that, Joe. Like, what are the best practices for at-home testing? Because I'm hearing more sort of at the bus stop and at soccer, these sorts of things. Parents having these conversations of sort of when to test which are the best tests, what differentiates a test. So tell me a little bit about sort of that from an option perspective and how you think that conversation, I guess, would lead to a successful conclusion uh, amongst parents. Yeah, so I think number one is parents should always, and you know, anytime a child de develops symptoms, that's a, an important and critical time to test, right? Um, it, it can be very difficult to look off symptoms alone and determine, is that allergies? You know, is it flu? Is it COVID? Yeah. They all present very similarly. So anytime a child develops symptoms that may be consistent with COVID, I think it's a great practice for, you know, parents to have access to those at-home COVID-19 tests uh, and, and be able to test their, themselves if they develop symptoms or their children. Um, number two, and, and, you know, each parent can kind of gauge this decision. It's hard for me to give universal guidance to every parent because every situation is different. But if parents want that extra peace of mind, again, serially screening uh, asymptomatic individuals, um, you know, even if without symptoms, uh, they can test with these rapid antigen tests um, using two tests, 24 to 48 hours apart uh, to, to make sure that the child doesn't develop COVID. So those, those are can you say, say that one more time? I just want to make sure the audience hears that because that to me is so key because I'll hear people, it's almost like they, they sort of, they want to test, they test and then they go, right? And it's like, well, <laughs> there's that element you mentioned about the second test, if you don't mind reiterating that. Yeah, and this was recently um, pu published guidance by the FDA that encouraged, especially for these rapid antigen at-home COVID-19 tests, they're a little less sensitive than the laboratory-based PCR tests. And for that reason, it's better to follow those uh, rapid antigen tests up with a second follow-up test 24 to 48 hours after that initial test. And that's what should be done uh, to encourage or to improve the sensitivity of the test and increase the likelihood of the test uh, being able to detect COVID-19. And, and that's a, so a key thing would be uh, also in the detection. And I know that's been a challenge for people because it's like you're it's like you're having to read these pieces of art where do you really see the picture emerging from all the dots? So uh, what what are some options when it comes to actual test and digital? I mean, sort of the different opportunities so that in essence, we're not playing the guessing game. Because I think that's one of the, whether we're guessing at the symptom, you know, the symptomatology or we're guessing sort of is now the sibling habit. It feels like there's a lot of guessing and that it would be really beneficial. Maybe that's me selfishly saying it as a parent. <laughs> if we had ways in which to mitigate some of that risk in, in my own ability to read something that is, I don't know, opaque. <laughs> great question. And I think that's a great transition for me to speak a little bit about a test we manufacture here. It's called our BD Veritor at-home COVID-19 test. And, um, you know, prior to developing our test, we recognized it would likely be purchased and used by consumers or parents that we like to call naive users or those without a lot of testing experience. You know, they're, they're inexperienced. They haven't been comfortable with reading tests before or completing diagnostic testing. And for this reason, we developed the first smartphone interpreted at-home COVID-19 test that walks users through the specimen collection and testing process through instructional videos on a free downloadable app called ScanWell. Uh, and the, the collection process and, and uh, 
testing process is very simple. It's, it's outlaid for the user uh, on, on the app. And once that process is complete, the phone is actually able to interpret the result of the test by using the smartphone's camera and visualizing those lines for the user and giving them a very clear uh, positive or negative test result. And once that result is uh, communicated to the, um, to the user, the results are automatically um, reported to state and federal health authorities in a blinded and encrypted fashion so as to protect their privacy and data. Um, but that's really important too, if you think about it, because uh, our public health officials really use that data to gauge important decisions about our health and, and ways that we can mitigate spread of the virus within our communities. I like that because it it does take the guessing game out of it and it helps to, I think it takes a little bit of the the fear that you're making such an impactful decision uh, about what your kid is, is or isn't doing because for them, it's, you know, to be taken away from their friends. If in fact it's a negative, it just, I think it helps to clear elements up. Uh, and to that end, what is some advice that you might have? Maybe you sort of put the nursing hat on when it comes to conversations that could be beneficial from the parent to the child, because I feel like a lot gets lost in translation and a lot of parents feel like they have to be a medical professional within that sort of 15 minute window. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, look, all things being equal, that may not be our skill set. We, we may not be Joe man. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that exact question kind of emphasizes the importance of having a, a, a test that's able to walk users through the process. A lot of these visually read tests, it can be quite challenging for people who are very inexperienced or not aware of, of what the materials are in front of them and how to use them. And, you know, I think the, the main point I'm trying to get at here is that it's important that uh, consumers find a test that they feel comfortable with and that they feel they're able to complete in a simple and easy fashion. Uh, because any mistakes made along the way during the testing process uh, can result in a false or invalid test result. And um, that can be obviously a very concerning for someone sending their child to school. So um, finding a solution that they feel comfortable with would be um, and feel confident that they're able to follow correctly would be my recommendation. No, that, uh, that's a, a very good point. All right. So let's let's put a wrapper on this, but let's get personal, Joe, if you don't mind. So put your, you know, I think people in the medical medical profession are incredible in their dedication to helping and supporting um, just an healthy, a healthy experience of life and, and nurses especially. So talk with me about what it's like for you and maybe the, the, um, the gratitude you feel and the opportunity you have professionally to be able to help support, um, you know, healthy habits and healthy living, uh, in a time when we are leaning, I mean, there's no sort of two ways around. I mean, we're leaning on the medical profession to really help us maintain some level of normalcy. There's got to be either a great sense of pride for you. Tell me a little bit about that journey for you personally. Yeah, it's been a journey of ups and downs. Uh, and, and to your point, I do. I love my career. I love being able to help patients. I work part-time as a clinician uh, in, in a medical detox facility for uh, alcoholics and, and those su uh, suffering from substance use disorders. So it's been quite challenging for us to remain open during COVID at times because it will find its way into our building and it's been very challenging. Uh, but we found ways to integrate uh, you know, routine testing to sort of keep it out. Uh, so that's been a key part of us being able to control COVID. And I believe that same kind of thinking will be can be extrapolated into our thinking for schools uh, to keep our schools open and safe and our kids in school. 
But yes, to answer your question, it has been a very difficult time for, for healthcare providers at times feeling overwhelmed. Uh, so anything, you know, uh, you know, parents, students, teachers, faculty members can do to kind of take some of that burden off of our healthcare providers so that we can kind of focus our attention and thought on more critically ill patients. Uh, so, you know, testing yourselves at home routinely, getting your kids vaccinated, things like that really take the burden off of us and help us, you know, stay prepared and, and able to help you when you become critically ill. Or hopefully that never happens, but <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Well, look, I think the education sector and the healthcare care sector share many similarities in in wanting to help provide support for communities across the world and and doing so in very challenging times. And I think working together is better for all of us. Uh, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you, Joe. I, you're someone that I don't want to take away your time because you're doing the stuff that is incredibly important. Uh, where can people go to learn more about your efforts at BD? And obviously you talked about the testing that I think maybe might be interesting for parents. Where should they go? Yeah, we have a website. Um, honestly, I, I don't know the name of the website off the top of my head, but but there, if you Google BD Veritor at home, um, we are uh, available on Amazon as well. If, if people are interested in purchasing our test and giving it a try, seeing if they like it. Um, and we do have a, a company website, BD Veritor, uh, I believe it's bdveritor.com, but people can Google it if they're interested to learn more. It's 2022. They'll be able to find it. Uh, <laughs> Joe, fantastic uh, to spend some time with you. Uh, I'm now interested in, in finding out more about it because we do need to support our communities uh, and healthcare providers are the ones that are doing uh, all this incredible work. So we want to thank Joe Mann, a global medical liaison for BD. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.